The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. Now on 94.7 The Pulse, the weekly wrap-up and word on the street. This is 11 on Friday. And thank you very much to Dennis for the last two hours of his program. He'll return next Friday. I think he was saying at the end there that he was interested in Simon Ramsey's interview on my program, the last MP to be removed or to resign from Parliament as a result of drink driving and perhaps the precedent that it sets for Tim Smith. Um, Yeah, it was an interesting moment on the program to have him on on the Monday following Tim Smith being caught drink driving on the Saturday. Vic. Good to have you with us. How are you? Good morning, Mitchell. I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very good for a Friday. Feeling good. It was uh, great to get back to the Melbourne CBD on the weekend. And uh, Oh, tell me about it. What did you do? Well, it was a bit quiet, actually. It was a little bit sad in that respect because I just know how that river would be pumping, you know, walking along the Yarra River there towards the MCG. If it was a Friday night when the football was on, you'd have so many people there. But it was pretty quiet. Uh, most people still wanted to wear their mask, even though you don't have to yeah. wear a mask out. It's, it's force of habit, isn't it? It is. It, 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 do you think it gives you some form of security? I think it does. Some people, I don't know if I feel that much more secure with a mask on, but I know some people who, if they're going into a big crowd outside, and they actually recommend that you wear one if you can't maintain social distancing of 1.5, I think they think the mask keeps them safe, but I'm not sure. I think the mask is meant to keep other people safe from you more, isn't it? Look, I always think that the mask stops you touching your nose and your mouth, you know, because you're handling door handles. That's and true. Whatever, you know, it's not, yep. it stops that. So there's that about it. Plus you can be a little bit more anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was at a cafe on the, well, it was on Monday and I saw someone that uh, I knew and uh, they said, oh, I didn't recognize you with the mask on. And I said, well, yeah, it's hard when you can only see someone from the eyes up yep. um, to recognize them. Yep. And I've actually seen it where you're walking down the street and you see someone you think you know, but you're just not 100% sure because they've got the mask on. Yeah. So you think, I'm not going to go up and annoy that person just in case they're not who I was expecting. Yeah. I uh, heard you talking about um, drink driving there. I... I you, and you asked me, have I been following Tim Smith? And I, I, look, I haven't been watching the news, Mitchell, so much other than to say that I don't want to be judgmental, but I'd say his career is really up against it now. Yep. It's, um, it was a bad blue and uh, it's probably not just one incident. It's, uh, it's going to be a number of things in his life, I think, that he's probably got to face and um, it's very, tough though a if, bad look for uh, for the whole party if you've only been a career politician and you're 38 or whatever age he is now what do you then go and do for the rest of your you know the second well, half of your working well, life well Mitchell problem belong him as they say up in PNG you know that, that's that's, that's his problem for, that's his problem yeah <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like a you problem you know, sort of you know well look you know we can't be crossing everyone's bridges we all got enough of that but um I don't watch the news, but I did watch the rain. Did you watch the rain? I just sat and watched it for some time. This last week, we got plenty of beautiful rain. We did, yeah. Um, I was going to go somewhere on what night was it? Was it Tuesday night? And, uh, or was it Wednesday night? And, uh, yeah, the road was actually almost flooded in part of where I was. And I thought our roads here really weren't built to cope with that amount of rain. You know, when it's really starting to run across the road and the mm. gutters are filling over and you think, no, actually, I probably should go home and stay home because uh, they say, you know, if you're not um, meant to be driving or if you don't need to be driving, oh, go no, come home. Come on, Mitchell, come on, Mitchell. Let's not be too, you know, let's not be too paranoid about that. I'm sure you could handle a little bit of that. You've come from Nigeria, for God's <laughs> sakes. Not driving. driving. I was too young to drive there. Well, I drove through Nigeria. It was the worst experience of my life, but, uh, well, driving life. Um, but, um, uh, I was going to say the um, uh, the rain came the day after the Melbourne Cup, didn't it? Mm. So it would have been a very wet track if it was, but it didn't. It was a lovely event. Have they ever had to cancel the Melbourne Cup because due to rain? rain? I don't, don't think, think they so. would have cancelled. I don't think that's the case. It's I just think, degraded the performance. I think the one time that it stopped was COVID, and that was a that was historical uh, for it not to happen. But it still happened. It just there was just no crowd there. Like the race still I happened. can't remember. Did it? Did it? Did yep. we have a? Did, did Twilight we, Payment one? 
Oh, okay. Good on you, Mitchell. That's very good. Um, I'm not look, a big race fan, but I'm not a you know I do I do like to have a flutter on the Melbourne Cup. Did you bet on it this year? I didn't bet on it. I'm not a gambling man, but I would have bet on the Cup. I don't believe that's gambling. There's a bit of a flutter. You have a bit of fun. Uh, I think that's still gambling. But anyway, okay. I look, think it is. Do you know one thing? Let's just while we're on the subject of gambling, I did speak to somebody the other day, and she said, um, "Oh, I had a bit of a flutter, and um, I start an account on my phone." Yeah. And um, and I've seen my employees with accounts on their phone. I find it quite troubling because they're always edgy about that. Checking the odds. Checking the, yeah, exactly. Yep. And um, she said, it's a one-off for me. I put $50 in. Mm-hmm. I think she said $50. And then I changed my mind and I said, can I have it back? And they said, no, no deal. You can't have it back unless, unless it's traded funds. So, just just looking at that, you can put two hundred dollars into your account, draw a hundred out, win five hundred with the hundred. So that's going to be uh, seven hundred dollars sitting in your account. Mm-hmm. You can only draw six hundred of it out. You cannot draw anything that is not traded. You, you've only drawn a hundred out of that initial two hundred. Now I think you've got to. I mean every. Bookmaker has a different policy, but I think you've got to place a bet first. You can't just put money in and take it straight back out again. Because I no, think no, not... no, no. There's a re- there's a reservoir in your trading account. Like I'm talking about with one of the big, yeah, one of the big companies that advertises. One that I've bet with in the past, and it's very, very rare for me, and I haven't bet for a very long time on events like that. But when I did, because um, I bet on the grand final, I think it was one year, and um, there was a deal with a number of different bookmakers, and if you set it up and placed your bets in a certain way, you were guaranteed to make money no matter what. So that's what I did. Look, um, but I put money in, and I got it all up. But you're saying with a different bookmaker that that's no, not No, no, I'm saying with, 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 the book, with the gambling options that we see... On our television, there's a big company. I'm not going to mention yeah. the name. Um, you can put funds in. Say you put 500 in and you didn't trade with it. You, you can't pull it. According to this person, you cannot pull it out. It has to be turned over and then you can pull it out. I think some even say you've got to turn it over two or three times. Well, I know some was just but, once. Do you think that's a, what I'm alluding to here? Do you think that's a good thing? Uh, probably not from probably a not. consumer's point of exactly. view. Exactly, from I mean, any point They're allowed view. to do it. From because, any point of view, I well, would say. Well, it's the terms and conditions. If you don't sign up to a betting account, go to a TAB if you um, would prefer to do it that way. But someone hasn't got the right to change their mind and say, I don't want to gamble. Yeah. They've got to gamble that money. Yeah, from a consumer's... That's why you've got to think before you put money in. You know what I mean? Before you spend money on anything because... And this is not just gambling. This is a lot of different products and services. It's very easy for the merchant to take money from you. But if for some reason things change and you want a refund, it's very difficult. And that's on everything. You know what I mean? There's a yep. number of hoops you have to jump through there. Yeah, yep. but, I, but I would say this is probably geared to more... You have a flutter and you can get your money back. Uh, not so much the, the rights of the consumer. The good news is that there's a lot of sort of safe-ish bets out there that you can place that they don't give you a huge return, but you can almost be sure. Like, for example, you could bet on Daniel Andrews to win his seat at the next election. That would, I hope that's a bad bet. I hope that's <laughs> a very, very... I hope they're very long odds. Given, um, his, given his recent... Uh, recent uh, yeah, but I mean, like, his government may not win, but he'll win his seat of Mulgrave. You would think no problems. Like, um, Matthew Guy would win his seat of... What's the name of that seat? It's in the um, eastern suburbs of Melbourne. It'll come to me. Well, the election is due in uh, November? Yeah, November next year. So, so less than, uh, well, less than 400 days. So you're, into- you're throwing the gauntlet down there about him winning the, the seat of Mulgrave? Of course he will. The margin's like 10 plus percent, I'm pretty His sure. His behaviour has been less than exceptional yeah, as far as I'm concerned. they voted him in already, didn't they? Well, they did. They did. But um, this current bill, uh, the uh, health and... Bulleen is Matthew Guy's seat. Just came to me then. Sorry. I had to close that in my mind. Bulleen. Continue. Oh, yeah. Good. You got that. Mm. It's always nagging when that happens, isn't it? It is. Um, and it happens but... more and more the older you get. <laughs> This the amount of power that he's calling up with this new bill, which has gone through the lower house and due to go through the upper house in the next week, mm-hmm. uh, with the help of the crossbenchers, 
is very concerning. Are you not concerned? We did speak about this last week, didn't we? Yeah, I'm concerned that it goes too far and I don't think there's enough checks and balances, but I did have Andy Medic on my program. Oh, I didn't I didn't get around to oh. hearing that. And I'm pretty sure, I can't be certain, but I'm pretty sure the paper actually ran that interview the next day. Okay. Either that or he rang the newspaper and said almost word for word exactly what he said on my show to the paper. Probably I listened. Got Which a paper? Um, the Addy. Oh, yeah. The only daily newspaper here. Yeah. And, um, yes, that was obviously a big deal to hear what he had to say. And he thinks, in his view, there's more checks and balances than what there is now. I'm not sure about that. I don't know if I agree to that. But it's amazing how two different people coming from two different sides have completely different interpretations of what's going on. Did you see the rally in the street, in Spring Street and in front of Parliament? Which one? There's been so many. <laughs> well, no, regarding this legislation. Oh, uh, no, because I know there was one when Tim Smith was actually doing his media conference. No, 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 wasn't no, that? No. Now, I saw this as part of a, a link sent to me. The, the curious thing is the ABC and, and National Broadcaster are not covering, they're not covering this. Uh, there was a man from uh, Sudan talking. Did you see that? No. Uh, there were a number of people um, uh, speaking and they were from all walks of life, Mitchell. They were from... Left and right, very concerned. Now, they panned the camera. Not only they panned the camera, the camera stayed fully fixated on the amount of people there. Mm. And when you turned north and south on Spring Street, it was full. And when you looked down Collins, it was full. Oh, sorry, Burke, is it there? Burke. Uh, I think it might be Collins. Um, It was absolutely full. Mm. And people just went for miles. But it wasn't covered in the mainstream media so much. Mm. Very, very cursorily. A big concern to a lot of people, this legislation, loss of democracy and loss of rights. Not, and in one phrase, not necessary. Not necessary. Now, I've long been a proponent of locking, locking down when this virus first hit. And for a long time, we had salad days. We had months of... We looked like we had it beat, had it licked. Mm-hmm. Things changed with Delta. And it's obvious that legislation was not going to stop the virus but our premier has doubled down and gone in harder very concerning to me and you know you, mitchell you've got the you've got the lady the brass lady with the the blind on is it lady justice yeah the yeah justice is blind with the scales the scales and on one side you've got public health on the other side you've got the sacred institution of democracy which side are we going to let it settle on I know which side I will, because there's there's ways of curing this. We we don't need this heavy-handed legislation. We don't need it. Every Victorian should sleep very roughly about this. And uh, I'm I, I know it's going to get up. It's going to get up. That's for sure. Of course it will. Yeah. Uh, but you know, once these things are implemented, very hard to get power back. Yeah. Off the politicians. Yeah, although Andy Maddick talked about it being a sort of short-term thing, but well, that's um, not didn't mention, of course, <coughs> whether or not there's a sunset clause, which I there believe there's not. Yeah, there is not. Mm. It, why should we accept that? Yep, uh, there's a lot of issues with it. There's no doubt about it. But you're right; it will probably no will pass because the government has a very good relationship with those crossbench MPs that they need to get the legislation through and also we talked about this last week the sort of paradox of those people that have chosen not to sit in the parliament because they won't show their vaccination certificate or vaccination status. Any word on them? Yeah I was just thinking that as I mentioned that I haven't heard any update in the last week or so I should probably check in with my um, contacts in the parliament but um, the paradoxical effect of that is that actually you have less freedom by taking a stand and saying, I don't think you should have to show a vaccination certificate to vote. You don't get to vote on a bill that's quite important about freedom. Well, their job is to debate certain liberties or otherwise. That's what Parliament is about. So they're not doing their job by being removed into that other place. Mm. So they're actually professionally negligent, I would say, doing what they're doing. And it's selfish. You know, I'm concerned that, well, I, I share their concerns. I mean, I don't have any particular uh, concerns about the vaccine itself, but but um, I can see how people do get upset about it, and in that sense, they they've got the right to free speech. But when it comes to when it comes to not being able to do their job, their elected job, for, for, dare I say, it's selfish reasons, they've got to put that behind now. They've got to go into bat for us. 
but they're not doing it. Mm. And they should wake up to himself. But, yeah, this legislation will definitely pass. I think even if they were there voting it down because they've got enough support in the Greens, Andy Medic and uh, Fiona Patton from the Reason Party, and they've all independently come out and said, we support this legislation or we're happy with the checks and balances that exist. So that's Because that. I've done a deal, though, Mitchell. They're supporting the legislation because they've done a deal. That's why they're supporting it. Well, maybe we should ask him point blank, Andy Manick, if he did do a deal. But um, go back and listen to the podcast. It's on my website, mitchellsfrontpage.com. I'm sorry, I didn't And he says that he was very happy because he was able to work in some things into the bill that he wanted, which was, in his view, going to create more... Uh, checks and balances, like this idea of the committee, the advisory committee. Um, he said that that was maybe one of his ideas, and he wanted to see that there, so there was more of a public health input. That's going to be in it. That's going to be like an ABC episode of Q and A, Mitchell. Well, I did say to him, I said, "Who actually appoints that committee, and their advice is non-binding, is it?" Well, exactly. So what's what's the? It's just another committee. Mm. Um, now, Cleo Smith. Yeah, I have a few thoughts about this. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what I think first. Sorry to steal your thunder, but first of no, all, no, no um, of course, it was very emotional when she was taken and we were all very worried about her. I was even talking to one person who said, this is why I don't watch the news because there's too many stories like that that are absolutely gut-wrenching. And then we read uh, this week that she's been found alive. And of course, when I first saw that ping come onto my phone, it was about seven o'clock in the morning. Yep. And uh, <coughs> I was obviously first very happy, but then my next thought in Instantly was, oh my goodness, you know, locked in a house, what's gone on over those 18 sure. days, and we sure. don't know. Sure. Now, since then, I would say that the media coverage has been way too excessive and over the top, because I can understand that there's this sort of appetite in the community to know what happened, um, how could this occur, who was the person, but I think the coverage which has involved them you know, being outside the house, putting in all these photos with telephoto lenses and things. Uh, the premier of WA going up there to say, you know, we're going to meet you and almost taking credit. And our premier wouldn't? Oh, well, he'd be there. He'd be first there. <laughs> so all of that would become a media circus. Um, and I just think she's a four-year-old girl, and we have to remember that. People forget that very quickly. But at four years of age, you don't want to be subjected to the full media pack, number one. Uh, number two, we have to remember that she's probably gone through something very traumatic, so I think the family deserves some privacy. And number three is the criminal justice process needs time to operate and needs to be done in a fair way. And I can already see they're talking about the fact that juries wouldn't be able to sit on this because they've been too compromised already. So, in my view, the media needs to back off this wall-to-wall -wall coverage is excessive and let the criminal justice system play its part and then maybe in a couple of years we'll have a full documentary about exactly what happened. But your thoughts? Uh, you look, I concur with what you say, but you can't stop the media and, at this level. You, I know, and it's it a is, huge it appetite from people, but I just thought it's led the news, it's run for so long, and these stories are getting really invasive into the Cleo's life. You yeah, know? I, I look, my son rang me, and I'd had a bit of a sleep, and it was 8 o'clock, and he said, he's on the way to school. As I said, he's doing his last year's exams. He said, Papa, he said, uh, have you seen the news? I said, um... No, I haven't, mate. What's going on? He said, oh, they found the little girl. I, I said, oh, you know. So we had word, We had a bit of a chat about that, and I, I turned my radio on by the bed, turned it up, and I thought, oh, I've got to, you know, got to get some more coverage. So I went over and turned the radio on in the kitchen, and that was on a different station. They were both up loud, and then I thought, I'll turn the telly on. Mm. So I had three, and I'm sort of walking between. I thought, this is ridiculous. You're the reason. I am, Mitchell. I am. You're speaking <laughs> to the wrong man. You're speaking to the wrong man, Mitchell. But, but look, but look I, I understand what you're saying. The thing about this is, and I think we're all wise enough to know that trauma doesn't stop now. It's not Hollywood. You know, they don't go back to a beautiful, perfect little life. I'm and, so and worried about, that's what I'm worried about. The mother can her health concerns me because that's that's not going to go away 18 days without your little one that's just going to be in her life forever she, she she won't be the same and i my thoughts go out to the mother and the father uh, you know Wouldn't and you be inclined to become one of those really over the top parents that exact, never lets their easy, kid out of their sight easy, even when they could easy be very could grown. Easy be. the whole town of carnarvon will will join around i'm sure um, the little one the only thing I would say is when I first observe her, she seemed to be very perky. 
and not sullen. She was quite bright, and I think maybe and hopefully, uh, please God, that's a good sign. So let's just hope. But I mean, what's gone through this person's mind? Anyone could guess. But they're taking the time. As far as your what's your statement about the law and their processes obviously being very methodical and dotting the i's and crossing the t's before they level the charges at this person making sure that some legal representative on the other side doesn't pull a point of law and uh, and run the whole thing off the tra- off the rail so i look i think it's in good hands i i do think that there is an appetite out there for this huge uh, would you say to the media back off like you know being parked outside the parents house because i saw photos and maybe i made a mistake of reading these articles which then of course increases their click count and then they say oh people want more of this sort of thing but i saw photos where it was clear that the media had been parked outside the front of the parents house and was using a telephoto lens to take a photo when the daughter Cleo emerged um, Look, out the front. If you if you just don't like paparazzi, that would be very invasive. But it's part of the euphoria at the moment. But I think we have to remember, like it's one thing if it's paparazzi but, over a celebrity who wheels and deals and plays the game and benefits from fame. But when it's someone who's a victim of a crime, I take your point. I take your point. But it's only been three days. Uh, or what, two days or three days? Whatever. Yeah, I remember getting the no, ping. I, I can't remember what day I d- it was. I don't think it was excessive. I, don't, I think from now on there could be an appeal to say, okay, game's up. But, but you know what? We've had so much rubbish. Everyone just wants to know. And this would have been worldwide. There's no doubt it would have been well, it was worldwide. on the BBC. There's, there's no doubt about that. That sort of story would be... Uh, and rightfully so. Well, I mean, Madeline, the police did a magnificent job. Madeline McCann was worldwide. Oh, and, yeah. I just can't even think that poor little mm. girl. Um, but, uh, you know, I, again, that's a, that's a negative story. So we've got a positive story. I can remember a similar time in my life. Does the name Tony Bullimore uh, mean anything to you? Don't think so. Okay. okay. I was on the farm back in 97, I think it was, and... Um, it was about, I was doing books or something this day. Now, uh, it was around the, the World Yacht Race. Now, in those days, we didn't have the same technology that we have now where you could, you could sail around the world on your iPhone as far as using the GPS mm. um, and do it, you, you know, very well. So, Tony Bullimore and a few of the others were doing this round the world yacht race and we were all watching it. And he went down into the Southern Ocean and he's and his beacon went off. And for days, we worried about this beacon in the Great Southern Ocean. This man was a bit of a... He's a bit of a legend, Tony Bullimore. Um, An older guy and, and, you know, one of these round-the-world solo, crusty old guy. Yeah. And um, eventually, Orion found the boat uh, right down in the sub-Antarctic, turn turtle upside down, and... Then they requisitioned the Adelaide to head south, the frigate or whatever it was, to Mm -hmm. head. um, So they got down there, HMAS Adelaide, and um, the point was, when talking about good news, I I can still recall the news that morning. They opened with the music and then there was this pause and then there was a statement, sounds of hope from the great southern ocean that brings a tear to my eye even now and you heard this boom 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 it was him knocking on the hull of the boat Mm. and he'd been up in this boat turned turtle for four days in ice cold water Mm. lost a finger and and just clinging this in the dark clinging to this to this beacon they got him out and he got an audience with the queen this man has actually got a lot of history he's very broad spectrum of interest. He had actually owned a nightclub in London with his Jamaican wife, I think it was, Lalela. And um, and they had some, you know, Ike and Tina Turner and um, Bob Marley used to go there. So he was he's quite a dude, you know. He's quite a enormous character. And uh, but but in his but in his little. Uh, story of survival there is just the story of hope and same with this little girl I mean it, it comes rarely and when this happens there's an enormous appetite especially at the moment for that Mitchell and I do agree with you that the rights of the family have to be but I 
I'd say from henceforth, but you've got to give them two or three days, you know, eating takeaway food out the front with their long lenses, let them have their moment, but it's time to back off. I can imagine the media wanting to get her in Cleo for an actual sit-down interview and pay them probably $500,000 or thereabouts. I'm against that. Um, but yeah, four years old. I mean, to articulate what's gone on to a camera, can you imagine? <laughs> but I think someone would be in the back of their mind trying it on. I think they will have had advice to button the lip on this because there probably will be a movie in it and I hope they, you know, that could be part of the therapy for Well, them. the premiere of uh, WA, did you hear, he's already starting to talk about who might potentially play, I'm guessing, him in this movie. I, as I said, I watched the rain, Mitchell. I didn't watch the news. <laughs> He's a character, that guy. And yeah, he was uh, he was in there. Did you see him getting off the plane in Carnarvon or whatever? No, I did not. It was no. a private jet, obviously. Well, yeah. you know all about how that works. Yeah. And um, getting off to then go and meet the family. I mean, what a great photo op for him. And yeah, you can bet Daniel Andrews would have done the same Well, I think, look, to be fair, any Premier would. It's a good, good news story. His any media Premier team's would. too smart to pass that opportunity up. Bert Newton passed away. Yeah, very sad. I mean, Moonface. As I said on whatever day it was, Monday, it was a big weekend of news. Um, on Monday, I mentioned that a lot of people remember Bert from a number of different things on TV. At my age, the main thing you remember him from was just GMA, Good Morning Australia, because that's when I was growing up. And if you were ever at home on a weekday, uh, not at school, that's what you would see, Bert. And, you know, throwing to the infomercials and all that. I'd almost forgotten he was doing that. Um, I remember Bert from back in the late 50s, early 60s, and we had a little television. It seemed like it was a widescreen at the time, but it probably would have only been a foot across. And at the end of the room, and there was Bert and Graham Kennedy and Joff Allen and goodness knows who else there, Australian identities, doing their thing. Um, And look, I'd, I'd love to think of just sort of search the memory, but I haven't got the time. But some of those people, including Bert, were just, they were fabulous in their, just their, in, in their presentation. It was quite groundbreaking and very unusual. And, and um, Bert was a bit of a master at impromptu comedy. And, Which is uh, an art together, form together with Graham Kennedy, they were a great couple. Uh, they used to call Graham Kennedy the king. He's quite a funny, uh, he got censured quite quite heavily because he was he said he he mimicked the the, the crow and said fuck fuck <laughs> <laughs> do you think they, they, there was there was big news they'd that be was, taken off air oh, today took, though i'm took, sure oh well possibly. that sort of comedy is frowned upon now is it is not it? Oh. i think some well, i don't know i haven't watched a lot of their stuff but i'd imagine the rules about what you can and can't say now are oh, tougher than what okay. they would have been oh. 20, on some areas maybe on other areas not so much but i think it is an art form isn't it to be able to get on tv to look down the barrel of a camera and just talk to ad lib to do comedy sketches people don't do that now i i, I don't think there were too much in the way of 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 health and safety or um, you know, there was no overlying legislation to say you can and can't do this. All sorts of things happened. And TV is incredible. And some was... of it quite tricky, mm. like physically dangerous. Yeah. Um, things like that. I remember Bert, he, he had a bike. He was playing a bikey. And the bloody thing took off and just went straight through the curtains <laughs> into the into the back. And all the, you saw all the cameramen running into... <laughs> do you know? And yeah. Bert's standing there very... Surprised. Live TV. Live TV, yeah. But I think the platform of TV, the medium, was still finding its feet back then, wasn't it? Working out what it wants to be. A bit like, you know, social media in its early days was different to what it is now. A lot of things were finding, you know, they were wonderful days when we were finding our feet in that sort of, uh, in that sort of environment, you know. Now we have very clear sort of... Too clear to me. Guidelines. Too clear. And expectations about what media is and what it should be. But back then, they were probably still working out whether TV was going to fly or not as a concept because I think some people didn't they think it was going to be a very short-lived thing um, Mitchell I just moving along I did watch a series and I've got to follow this up watch more of it's on the ABC and it's called Monash and me okay so it's uh, about the great Australian um, uh, Monash that was in the first world war and a brilliant, stati- a brilliant uh, tactician. And they went through his thinking and his 
the way he's just changed the course of the First World War. Mm. And um, um, eventually um, uh, helped liberate France. And in Villers Bretonneau, uh, there's a sign. And I think this is quite topical. <laughs> yeah, I was it's, just going to say. If there's, a a sign, uh, there's a sign uh, uh, in Villers. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? And it's got... Do not forget Australia. Mm. I don't think. I, I I think that they won't be forgetting Australia at the moment. No. Over there. Is our PM under great scrutiny at the moment? Oh no, I don't think so. Isn't he? <laughs> yes, uh, it's been all over the news, hasn't it? Um, it's look, been interesting to me, actually. Uh, look, these submarines. Why did they do the deal in the first place? It was clearly a bad deal. I said it at the time. So I'm not sure why they even did it, but uh, they did it. And uh, we got stuck with it. And I don't blame them for getting out of it because it was a bad deal. Could have been handled better. But I'm just surprised by how many people are sort of almost siding with France rather than saying, hang on, this was a bad deal. We should have got out of it because it wasn't in Australia's national interest. Look, that's a big topic. You've just said a whole mouthful there. Um, and I said this four weeks ago or five weeks ago. We should have diesel electric too. And I'm not a great... I, you know, I'm not qualified in the in terms of the defence of this country, but it's it's clearly obvious to me that those are, those submarines that we were building and the, 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 their biggest fault was that they were going to take too long to build. Mm. We need something to protect closer in, and also they and in the shallow off waters as nuclear subs. That designed and then they had to sort of downscale it because Australia was the only one that said no. We're not having nuclear subs. We want diesel electric. Well, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. We we we, we didn't at the time want to start a, a race towards to, you know within the region, so everyone was going to take on that capability, and so we we, we elected for diesel electric. That's my understanding. Although surely there's a distinguishment point to be made between nuclear weapons and nuclear power getting fine now because see you spoke about the the, the french subs they've got a low-grade uh uranium in, in them mm-hmm. that has to be swapped out the, the reactor has to be swapped out every so often i don't know but they do have the long-range capability but not the capability of the reactors that the american and english subs have that are basically weapons grade uranium i see so Who's going to service that? Who's going to look after it? If 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 the proverbial hit the fan here, you might say, "Oh well, you know that we've got all the backup we need from our allies." Our allies not, might not be available, Mitchell. Mm. They might not be available. And and what's more, from what my reading is on the subject, nuclear subs are fantastic, but they aren't any good uh, in shallow. Oh well, they're not as good in shallow water. They leave a footprint. They leave. They're more traceable. So. Diesel electric do a certain job. It's like cars. You can have a Maserati and a Land Rover. You can't have everything one. Yeah, of course. Um, and, of course, you can have your nuclear sub, uh, which is up under the North Antarctic ice cap doing work. That's fine. Um, and we've gone into this new partnership. We had to have heavy equipment. I say to you again, we need both. We need to be a power under the sea. That's where that, that's where a lot of strength will be held in defence, and I think we need both. Why are we not? The, the problem is if we go back to the French contract, which is probably not possible, it's still going to take another. You know, the French contract was a dog. It was going to take too long. I'd, who signed off on it? Seriously, to, uh, to, uh, Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah, and they're out of Parliament now, and are now from the sidelines. Look. Um, All these people up. are out of parliament when it comes to making these promises about carbon too. Well, how many times have I said that? Um, but the problem with the submarines issue is there's obviously only a finite budget. And I know in the past you said we should spend a lot of money because you think it's a worthwhile project. But if these submarines are already going to cost north of $90 billion, um, which is already a fair slice of our GDP, how much more can you spend on then also, in addition to that, having nuclear subs. Well, I go back to what I said. Uh, there's probably going to be an adjusted version of this, but the fact of the matter is that it does, it's, it's an enormous generator of, uh, of jobs mm-hmm. and of local uh, manufacturing and things like that. So it's not like it's wasted money. And secondly, uh, difficult times arriving, Mitchell. No good wringing our hands later down the track and say, our 
four or five nuclear subs, um, you know, one's or touring capacity, the other two, one's up in the north. We've got one hanging around Australia. Uh, I mean, and that might sound like very simplistic version, but uh, I'm a simplistic kind of thinker when it comes to this. I think we need more defence than what we've got. I mean, I don't trust, as, as, as good as our Air Force is, I don't trust our Air Force to be able to defend Australia. It's these sorts of sub, this sort of technology that's going to keep us safe. And I think that it's it's money well spent, and I don't think we should throw all our eggs in one basket. It's the it's the it's the old story of putting all your eggs in one basket. And I wonder who our tacticians are that have said this. We're going to drop that and go with this. I think it's a blue. I think it's a bad mistake. I think we should have both. Well, how it's been handled is clearly oh, appalling look, as well. How it's been handled is a whole other subject. That's a bombshell in itself. Um, and that's what's now leading to this very public falling out between uh, the French Prime Minister and uh, Scott Morrison. D- uh, let me ask you the question. L- uh, I saw the Prime Minister saying, I can take it, but I don't want the Australian people being sledged. Now, to my understanding, that never actually happened. That never actually happened. The, the, the French... Never actually, the Prime Minister of France, France never actually sledged the Australian people. He said, I don't, I don't think it, I know it, when it came to... Yeah, but I think, honestly... It wasn't to do with the Australian the, people, it was to do with him, Mitchell. If a French politician gets stuck into the Prime Minister of Australia, aren't they indirectly attacking the Australian people? Because one, who actually elected the person in the first place? No... No, that's a long bow. Won't ride with that. No, won't ride with that. I don't think it's a long bow at all. I think that this man has a... And he has a big problem relating and a big problem with the flow of common sense when it comes to being a diplomat. Now, he's doing a fair job with the economy. That would probably get him back. But do you know what, Mitchell? Big call here, right here, first time on the pulse. I think we we need to change a leader to go into the next election. Change a Liberal leader. Absolutely. To go into the... Who are you dropping in? Frydenberg? Frydenberg. Okay. I think we need it. And I think it's got to be called up. This man is going to go from uh, from disaster to political disaster. And he's done it, look, he's done it plenty of times before. And I'm not, I'm almost not having a go at him personally, but I think it's time for us to think very, very seriously about that particular option. Do you think it's a problem that we've had this sort of revolving door of prime ministers and no one I has served? I did happen to think that, but, you know, it's the Australian way. And for him to say the Australian way, well, I don't think he should go over there and say the Australian way is the Australian way is when it comes to carbon. That's not fair. That's not fair. We just want, we just want to be like everybody else and to have some commitment here. Mind you, these people make these commitments. One other thing I think about this carbon thing we should have a, 25, a 2025 target. We should have targets every five years so that politicians know that within potentially within the term of their partic- political life, they're going to have to toe the line or get kicked out. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, if you're going to take it seriously... Because it's BS what we're hearing. Well, I think people in politics maybe think, oh, if we say 2050, no one can hold us to account, so it looks like we're taking the issue seriously, but we're not. Um, So if you do want to take it seriously, then you've got to probably set those interim targets, no doubt about that. But uh, going back to what you were saying, of course, the last Prime Minister to serve a full term was John Howard, 2004 to 2007. So if you give Scott Morrison the boot, there goes another potential opportunity to sort of close that... Dark period of our politics. You got to do what you got to do, Mitchell. Mm. There's, a, there's an. Ob- it's pretty obvious that there's an issue here, and I don't know how much the Australian people really see it or care about it. But uh, I think he has a problem relating, and I just don't. I, I don't particularly like him on the world stage when it comes. To, I mean, even even Joe Biden said I, this has been handled clums- clumsily. Um, when Come it comes from to, him. Well, <laughs> well, you know, look, I, I've had a bit to say about Joe Biden, but I have a respect for his age, and he, yeah, he has, he has, he's got, he's got headwinds. There's no doubt about that. He's got headwinds, Joe. But um, uh, well, as as has America, you're not seeing much of Kamala, Kamala Harris. No, no, you mention it, you're not at all. You Maybe know? that's strategic. It is strategic. I would say, I'd say there'd be a lot of. Uh, you know, there'd be a lot of behind-the-scenes talk going mm. on. But um, anyway, that's because another subject. if for some reason Joe Biden was to leave office and Kamala Harris was to come in, uh, if you haven't been seeing a lot of her, then one, you can disassociate yourself from the previous administration or the previous president, and two, you get the benefit of that honeymoon period. You know what I mean? Yep. As coming in as a new leader. That's right. Mm. 
Um, so, and we could do with that on the local scene too. Uh, I know that I'm probably a lone wolf with that particular thought, but uh, I think it's I think it's uh, inevitable. Shall we use that word? It's inevitable. Well, and see, I don't think at the moment his leadership is terminal. I think that there's clearly a lot of problems, but we have to remember as well that he's a very good campaigner, and that's why so many people wrote him off in 2019, and he managed to bounce back and win that election. And I still think he could put on a good campaign. Now, if there was to be more headwinds and more problems between now and the election, that may change, but I don't think it's quite terminal yet. Yes, there's still a fair chance that he'll probably lose the next election simply because this is now a government asking to be re-elected for the fourth time, which is a very rare thing to happen, isn't it? Mitchell, there's one other thing. That smirk. That has got to be damaging. I'm sorry, it's just got to be damaging. Where's his PR people on this? I'm sympathetic about that simply because, and I've said this many times before, some people just have that resting smirk face and it just looks like they're smirking even though they've got a a neutral expression. So I don't pay too much attention to that. But I can imagine that some people out there, they find it annoying. Look, dare I say it, you're stronger than the common voter, right? You're much more a critical thinker and I I I do accept that. You are definitely too. Oh, well, thank you very much, Mitchell. Is, is that is that code for you're buying the coffee today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. And for once in my life, I do agree with Greta Thunberg. Oh. Bless a little heart, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of blah, blah, blah going on about the about this, this carbon. Um, oh, actually, while you mention that... I was really interested, and I haven't been paying attention to the blow-by-blow accounts of this summit. I've been watching the news on a lot of nights and have seen the reporting. But what's really surprised me has been who's actually speaking. And maybe it's not representative of who's really speaking. Maybe the news people go after this. But I'm seeing celebrities. I'm seeing uh, people like Prince Charles speaking, not seeing a lot of climate science, uh, scientists speaking. So when you talk about Greta Thunberg and blah, 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 that's what I think when I see celebrities talking about it. Where are the climate scientists? Well, the climate scientists have done their job by pointing it out. The politicians have got to do something about rectifying it. And I think that Britain's plans are fairly solid. They've got plans and it's it's laid out their, their path forward. What we've got is rhetoric. Now, I'm not playing the Labor or the Liberal line here. I think we've only got rhetoric on either side. Uh, in, in that sense, you know, I think the Greens do have some traction... Um, if they could just limit their policy to green issues, then they'd probably get some get some votes. That's but, not how politics works. No, it's not. Unfortunately, it's not. But something has to be done. And isn't this an enormous issue? Hasn't it got some potential, uh, some momentum now? Like this coal thing is enormous. It's just a such a big subject. Do you think it has as much momentum as what it had in the 2007 election? Oh. Because that was a really different time. In that, you know, the Al Gore film had come out a few years before and I think uh, climate change... Inconvenient truth. That's right. I think Mm. climate change was really on people's minds and I think since then and that peak, it has diminished somewhat in favour of other issues. That's a fair comment. That's a fair comment. I think that it was... It held a lot of sway amongst a certain level of the community. But when you've got a lot of conservatives taking the attitude, like myself, taking the attitude, something must be done and it must be done soon. Now, you look at farmers, and this is what gets me about the nationals. Oh, we're not going to do it unless we keep employment, la la. Fair enough, fair call. But everyone's doing it tough, mate. You know, everyone's doing it tough. You've got to take a bit on the chin. If you went into the community and you questioned the farmers... Or the city people, do you know what I reckon that the concern about climate change would be greater amongst the rural people? That's the paradox here. The concern about climate change would be greater amongst the rural people than the city people. They're the ones that are bearing the brunt of this more than the city people. And, uh, you, you know, I think the nationals are a little bit misguided in their in their blocking of this and they're being obstinate. I mean, the, the Prime Minister's thrown a lot of money at them. I think that they should back off 
and say, well, we'll just have to run with this now. We've got a duty to run with it. You just have to remember that the Nationals are representing the people that voted for them in the first place. I understand. But you know what? Goalposts moved, Mitchell, and, and they were voted to use common sense. They were voted in to use common sense, and they must use common sense in their analysis and in their, you know, backing of, of the legislation. So that's, what, that's what I think. Not to be obstructive, they, they've got to go part the way, uh, but then there's probably time to say, well, we've just got to, we've got to press on regardless here. We've got to have a bit of faith that we are going to solve this. We are going to get jobs. I mean, this green hydrogen and stuff, that's got enormous potential. I'm not quite across all that. Twiggy is. He's, he's the man that's driving all this and good on him. At least he's he's doing stuff with his... He's not sitting on his tail. He's quite energetic that way. So he could lead us down this road. For some reason, they say that we're probably the Saudi Arabia of this green hydrogen. I don't know why, but we apparently are. Okay. Do, have you followed that at all? Not a great deal. I've been watching from afar. Um, but same. So say you're the same. Saudi Arabia or well, something. Well, that's, that's been said a few times. Mm. Australia is perfectly placed for this, you know, and I don't okay. know... Wide brown land and... Well, if it know. works, I mean, I think we all need practical solutions, don't we? That would probably be a lot more preferable than some of the rhetoric you're hearing. Well, do you know what? I did see an interesting thing the other night. I watched Q&A, half of Q&A the other night. Yes. And, um, there was... Uh, uh, get this. This goes to show you just how much the world is changing. Adam Bant was on it, wasn't he? He was. Yep. And, uh, look, his contributions were very welcome. You know, not all of them. <laughs> not all, not of, all of them. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so it's qualified, Adam, if you're listening. Uh, but there was, a, there was an individual there, and he was part of the, get this, the nuclear greens. And they're saying, to solve this problem, to solve this carbon problem, this huge carbon problem, because I've often said, and I'll still say it, we're, we're fiddling around the edges with these wind farms and everything we're we're not actually you know it's nice to put a few solar collectors on your roof and all that but this is just fiddling around this is an enormous problem and uh, uh these nuclear greens are getting you know well there's a there's a section i would love greens. to know what proportion of greens are nuclear greens i suspect not many well there's a couple of things about nuclear it's it's not an easy fix it's not a five minute fix but but I do believe that they've got this technology which is compact, as big as a um, shipping container apparently, and they can move them into areas mm. and supply. Do you know? Do you know France supplies seventy percent of its energy I from did. nuclear? I remember learning about nuclear power in school, and I think France was one of the countries cited, as was Japan at the time, as, you know, this is how they do nuclear. Um, It's amazing, though, when you go and talk to people in the community how much negativity there is towards it. Uh, I remember talking um, with one group of people, and for some reason the topic got on to talking about nuclear power and very against, and, you know, one person was with us from Russia and said, we just managed to escape Chernobyl, and now you want to create another one? So that sort of thing weighs heavily on people's minds. It was a bad mistake. Three Mile Island 2 is is forgotten. Um, Fukushima? Fukushima. Which, if you look on the nuclear scale of disasters, Fukushima, I think, might even be in a league of its own. I'm um, sure it is. I'm sure it is. Being so close to the, to, to the ocean and everything like that, I mean, bad design from the start. I mean, they had the power supply down with the... the the reactors, so that when it went out, everything went out. So the reactors didn't have power, so you can't cool, can't cool them, and, yep. and it was just a bad design. And that, you know what? That's so un-Japanese. Yes, it it's is. so un-Japanese. Um, but with these disasters, we learn. But we, you, you know, when it comes to nuclear things, nuclear, uh, does Miraroa Atoll mean anything to you? No. The French, well, here's the, get this, the French set off 150 nuclear explosions there, just in the South Pacific, right? They when would, was this? This is back in the, oh, I'd say the 70s or, or so, yeah, they were just out of control, they they just, and they thumbed their nose at everybody, so there's two sides to this story, mm. they have got their own view on how they operate, it was, wasn't their backyard, it was ours, um, plus they also sank a boat in a nuclear in, in in a harbour in New Zealand. Did you know that? No. Yeah, the Rainbow Warrior. So it was French a, frogman. It was a nuclear. Because ship. it was in that period. No, no, no. It no. was a protest ship, ship. Oh, I see. And it got sunk in a, in a New Zealand port. To my recollection, now I might stand corrected on that. That's what I remember. I have to go back and read about that. It sounds like an interesting history. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to be said with this whole interchange, but. 
at the bottom, at the end of the day, um, you, you know that the cancellation of that contract was handled badly. I said it before, and I'll say it again: should have been handled man to man. And I said a good friend of mine, um, a learned friend of mine, I said it should have been handled first of all with a conversation between the two leaders. I think and there would still be a bit of a I don't want to say dummy spit, but there'd still be a bit of angst from their side about. There is it. no doubt. There's no doubt that's and unavoidable in an election year because they do have to sort of. You know, be standing well, up for the French. I quote this man because what he said was, you're right, but actually what he should have done is got on a jet over there and, and gone and seen him personally to cancel that co- contract. Now, with COVID, that's probably not a possibility. No. But that, he was the, able to fly to The protocol would have been perfectly acceptable to have done that, to have gone over there and sat there and looked him eye to eye. You know what? The French respect that. I'll tell you a story. When I was a young man traveling through Europe, uh, young and brash and full of life, uh, early 20s, you know, in Paris, you go up and say, uh, excuse me, you speak English? <laughs> they were disgusted. They walk off. Uh, you speak English? No, mm, never got anything. In 95, I had a round-the-world ticket. I had the farm. All I had was a round-the-world ticket. And I had my old pack. And I thought, well, had no money. I thought, I'm, you know. Uh, and as an older man, I went to France. And um, I was on the way to see my, my late brother in America. And it was a great ticket. It took me to some lovely places. But I, I, as I approached people in the street... Uh, with my map out, uh, pre-mobile phone, thankfully. And I said, um, pardon, monsieur, uh, I'm Australian and I have no French, but if possible, do you speak any English? And they, a little? How can I I help you? (laughs) Now, that's the difference. They really, they really, they are big on manners. Yeah. They're big on manners. And I, do you know, with that approach... And it was so apparent to me, I never got a refusal. They all mm. spoke English. If you were apologetic and you were decent about it. And that's something that was lacking in this whole cancellation of this deal. Well, do you know, we've been going for well over 50 minutes now. And you've just gone and gone and gone today. You've got a lot of things Well, we haven't mind. got anything to talk about, have we? <laughs> now, we have to actually fit in a break. So right, we'll go to okay, a break and right. probably we'll okay. only have time now to come back for your last word. Okay. Until midday, you're listening to 11 on Friday on 94.7 The Pulse. Final word, Vic, you have 30 seconds and counting. I apologise to the listeners. I announced Talia Ellis to be on this week. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Hopefully next week. Uh, she's a, a incredible, uh, larger-than-life woman in the outback, outback and she'd be terrific to talk to. Um, just on one other thing, Peter Fitzsimon's new book, The Incredible Life of Hubert Wilkins, was on the ABC. I drive past this place every uh, time going out west, and I've been to his little house at Dick Smith. Is actually Five seconds. Anyway... Read it. The incredible life of Hubert Wilkins. Thank you. Talk to you next week. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.